down from Tennessee I'm just that off from about for San Antonio With a radio blasting and the bird dog gone Me and my boys got this rigging wound And we'll come a thousand miles from a guitar chain Alright, what's up everybody? Welcome to Hardcore Troubadour Episode 1, uh, Guitar Town Which is not Steve Earle's first recording But the first uh, major released full length uh, That we're going to be diving into uh, This is Brian Wallace And I am I'm joined- Tyler Short Yeah, by Tyler Um if this is your first episode, we want to say welcome. We are Steve Earl dorks, huge fans, uh, <laughs> you know, of, of all types of country, folk, Americana music, but Steve Earl in particular holds a special place for both of us. And so we're excited and grateful uh, for you to be taking this journey with us. Tyler, what's been going on, man? Uh, nothing much. Um, I had a fucking hectic day. Um, I slept in because my my band Constraint played a show in Lexington, Kentucky, which I live in Louisville, so that's like or Louisville. I, I realize in podcasts <laughs> I say Louisville a lot because that's what I say when I talk to people who aren't from here. But uh, I no, feel we, sometimes I feel like like I'm betraying my roots, no. not saying Louisville. You must be your um, true self and pronounce it the, <laughs> the proper way that that Louisvillians say it. So, right. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that was like an hour and a half away, but we, um, I worked overnight Sunday night so that I wouldn't have to go in tomorrow or on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and, uh, cause we were going to go up early and skate the skate park that I haven't skated since I was like a teenager. Um, so we had like a cool day skating. I fell really hard. I always feel accomplished if I go out skateboarding and I, I slam. Um, so I got like a little raspberry on my elbow and a couple scrapes on my back. Of course, I fall as soon as I take my shirt off, <laughs> like <laughs> for um, maximum scrapage. Right? Yes. Yeah. Just to make sure I, I really got it in there. Um, but yeah, we had a cool day at the park, um, but uh, the show started it was shows at a bar. Um, we played with this band, Robber Gade, which if you're a person who's listening to this podcast because you're a hardcore kid, I'm sure you're aware. But if you're a person who's listening to this podcast because you stumbled across it because it's about Steve Earle. Um, and you have any affinity for punk rock, uh, nice. Robber Gate is a punk rock band from Columbia, Bogota, Columbia, mm-hmm. and they are fucking awesome. Dude, so good. Just I, incredible. I feel very lucky to be in New York City because I've gotten to see them several times. Uh, they, played, they played here and in Jersey. So I'm so stoked that you got to play with them. So how, dude, how was the show? Uh, show was awesome. It, I don't think it would have done as well in Louisville as it did in Lexington, because I think Lexington has a little bit more of a, of a punk community than, than Louisville does. Yeah. Louisville, the punk and hardcore community are kind of like pretty divided. The punk community kind of doesn't really associate over and the hardcore community doesn't, therefore the hardcore community has no idea what's going on in the punk community. Mm. And the punk community doesn't really bring bands in either. They kind of just like play their own shows Got and it. whatnot and um i mean it's cool because i mean I, I can remember being in that level and that and cued into that kind of stuff where you're you really are in your own alien world sure um but uh but yeah so there was a bunch of kids who had showed out for um for the punk bands playing and um like a local band age panic played they're more like metalcore um integrity kind of worship stuff they're cool um but uh 
I mean, constraint set was fine. It was cool. We, we stuck out because we were, you know, harder than Rob Brigade, but faster than the metal band. Um, uh, and then some, this band called rat piss played, uh, last, which was Great. fucking baller of them to play last after yeah. Rob Brigade. Um, cause they had like a group of kids who were there kind of just for them, but everybody kind of had a really good time. And Rob Brigade set was awesome. There's circle pits, push pits, kids skanking around, getting, yeah. getting crazy, you know, slamming into each other. Um, Love it. but it was, it was, it was fucking, it was chaos. It was really fun. Um, that band deserves it, man. Absolutely. I totally they deserve agree. it. Their new record's incredible. Aggressive City on Cash yeah. Only Records. Very good. Um, I ordered it the other day just because I knew I was going to like it. And then I was like, I should listen to it now. And I listened to it and I was Hell like, yeah. all right, yeah, I like it. So I'm glad I bought it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're a great, a great group of guys. Their guitar player is apparently a huge Inclination fan. So he was kind of geeking out that like he, we, we were talking and whatnot. And I was like, I was awesome. like, Jesus, this is fucking weird. Um, but uh, there's singer carlos is one of the nicest guys i've met in hardcore yeah. i think and it, the funny story so we i met him at at ldb fest uh life and death brigade fest that happens in louisville yeah and um he bought a shirt for somebody he bought an inclination shirt for me for a friend who's like is one of my friends his favorite band is inclination like you know, he's gonna love this so he got him this shirt and then he took he took it back to columbia and it was this their guitar player uh is who he got the shirt for and um just to be nice. That's awesome. I love that. I know it's the story I tell whenever I've been telling people about Rob Brigade. I tell them, well, I met the singer and this is literally what he did the day I met him was yeah. he just did something nice for a friend back home without having any incentive. He didn't tell him like, hey, get me an inclination shirt and give him yeah. money or anything. Just did it out of the kindness of his heart. I think that's an amazing like, 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 I don't know, like presentation of character. Like, uh, yes. But apparently that shirt, when he went to give it to him, was like for his birthday. He was like on his birthday. He was like, I got this shirt for you. And then they set it aside and somebody picked it up and took it. Oh, man. Yeah. So I've got his address and I'm going to mail, say, I'm gonna mail him like three inclination shirts. Let's hook him up. Yeah, for sure. What <laughs> but, a great uh, story, man. I know. Isn't that an amazing yeah. story? So but yeah. What? I was just going to say, I've had a chance to have a few conversations with Carlos. You know, he's been around in New York. And actually, I know. Chad, the singer of my band, Perfect World, who um, is a lot more extroverted and gregarious than I am. I know like him and Carlos mm -hmm. have hung out and stuff, but like, I just, that hearing that story about his character doesn't surprise me at all, just based on how fucking cool and kind he's been every time I've chatted with him. And then it's also, you talking about that show last night makes me think like, I could totally see Robert Gade being a band that even in front of like, a punk crowd that might not be like super familiar or anything that they would be super into it. Right. Oh, yeah. I was watching some clips from their set at this is hardcore um, from the other weekend. And again, man, yeah, they deserve like all the shine. They've been working hard um, mm -hmm. across borders for a yep. long time and um, persisted through COVID and all the challenges that that brought, you know, to all of us, but particularly with folks, traveling internationally and things like that. And so definitely excited. This new record is out there and hope uh, people get a chance to check it out, man. Me too. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, well, you want to get into this record or how's your, your life been going? Ah, uh, you know, I, I haven't no shows in the past week. Um, but life is good, man. I've been, I've loved, frankly, having an excuse to 
give some mindful listens to Steve Earle material. Um, and other than that, I've just been doing the work thing and the dad thing, but that's felt really good. Um, my little guy loves music and, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see him, um, respond to certain things other you know and, and what was the song what was the song he was humming along to i ain't ever satisfied i ain't ever which, satisfied you know, yeah, based i was on, like i was like well that's not good right based on the <laughs> lyrical content it would be like yeah i've got a long road ahead of me in terms of you know this child's disposition as he yeah. gets older but yeah um i think it just kind of like stuck out he is such a he, he isn't fully talking yet beyond a few words mm-hmm. but he's so good at mimicking because, yeah. you know, of course, I'm the stereotypical dad. I'm like, well, clearly he's the smartest fucking kid in the world. Like, right. <laughs> like, but like, so he'll do, you know, he'll, I was like sick a few months ago and like clearing my throat a lot. And then I would hear him like, ah, 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 and we'll do it with animal sounds. But then he also can like pick up a melody. And I think there was something about that. You know, it's a, it's awesome. And one, you know, as time progresses, we'll dig into that more. But yeah, yeah, so it's been cool to just be fucking listening to records with my kid and stuff. That's um, awesome. So yeah, I'm having I'm having a good time. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to dig into this record. So Me before too. we start going like track by track, let's talk a little bit about just like our orientation to slash experience with this record. Like Tyler, um, I'm curious, like where in your, you know, becoming a fan or introductions to Steve Earle, like, when did you hear this? It was his first LP, but I don't think for either of us, it was the first record we heard. No, not at all. Um, so I want to say w- when we talked in the, in the episode zero, um, the first tracks I really heard like songs off of were, uh, I feel all right. And, um, some of, uh, some of the towns covers, as well as um, some songs off Copperhead Road. Yep. So when I started digging in, I dug into I Feel All Right, and then I went back and was like, okay, well, what's the most popular record? Okay, it's Copperhead Road. So I dug into Copperhead Road. Mm-hmm. And then I told you a little bit on that intro episode how I reached a point where I was like, I get like afraid when I like something so much to right, jump into right. the next record because I'm afraid I'm not, it's not going to hit the same. Right. So I had been kind of doing that. And I didn't really just like wanting to like, like, I guess I've been bouncing around between a lot of music. I wasn't just like on this Steve Earle quest um, that I ended up on a few years later where I would go weeks where that was the only thing I listened to. Um, But uh, so I was really doing a thing around that time where I would listen to a record and I would have like maybe four records I would listen to in a day and I would just listen to them over and over again. Like I'd listen to one, then I'd listen to a different one, then I'd go back to that one. And then I was really just trying to familiarize myself with with the music and the lyrics because yeah. one of the things that drew me into Steve Earle in the first place was the story. Right. And um, like, you know, getting, we'll get there, but the story in Copperhead Road is in, incredible and it's very relevant to Kentucky. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> um, Copperhead Road is in Kentucky. Um, so um, all that, like, so I was like really drawn into that. So I like didn't want to jump around to different records till I felt like I fully absorbed mm. that record. And funny enough, um, so the guitar player in my old band Rattletooth has been tattooing me for years and years and years. And it was actually he was doing my flip phone tattoo that's in the ditch of my arm. Yeah. And um, 
we're listening to it and he or we're, we're, we're he's tattooing me and he's listening to music and I'm, and I'm like I'm like what is this and he goes see we're all and I was like what record is this he goes guitar town and I was like oh I haven't listened to this one yet so he's like oh it's, it's fantastic so like we just kind of sat there and didn't talk yeah <laughs> for like 20 minutes while I was just like and I just kept being like god damn this record's fucking awesome hell yeah like this is fantastic and um and yeah, so that was my my intro to Guitar Town. I think the next day I listened to it like maybe six times at work. Um, I just because it's so short too. Yeah, it's one of the short. It's right about half an hour. It's one of yeah, the shorter like records. That's, yeah. I think that's one of the things that I like so much about Steve Earle is the the re listenability of his records. Where even if there's song, or there's, there's rec- like parts in the record that like lull and don't really mm-hmm. draw you in. Like pretty soon, record's over. You can just flip it over. Let's go again. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, that was kind of my, uh, my coming in was getting a very stupid tattoo. And, uh, my friend who's shown me some of my, my favorite bands now in always in that setting of he's torturing me. Right. And he happens to be playing something just off the wall that I've never heard before. And I just become obsessed. That's <laughs> awesome. And I mean, it's always good to have the distraction too mm-hmm. <laughs> while you're getting tattooed. I love that. That's yeah. No, awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it's every time Nate tattoos me, I would almost rather him listen to nothing I'm familiar with. Yeah. Because I'm a captive audience, so he mm-hmm. can play anything and I'm going to zone in on that. That's right. And if it's up my alley, I'm going to find something to like about it. Yeah. Because I hate everything else going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No doubt, man. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great story of your yeah. how did you how did town. you come to Guitar Town? Well, uh not 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 as cool of a pathway, I would say, but it is interesting, like, you know, both of our like non-linear or I guess non-chronological like introductions to like Steve's different records and eras of the music. So I think I had shared Copperhead Road was my first record, most popular. It was the only one that my stepfather had. Yeah. Um, that was my introduction. And then through this is what's interesting through Brian Hartley, um, a musician that I was in a band called Half Acre Gunroom with, I had gotten familiar with Someday um, based on his cover of it. But actually, like, I think my order went something like Copperhead Road and The Hard Way were two records that I remember like having and loving. And then around that time, which was the early 2000s, the Jerusalem record had just come out. And mm-hmm. so I remember buying that CD. And Is that really, the one that came out when you were paying attention? Yes. And, and so that that's was your, that's your, I'm into this. And then now I, this is the brand new one. Exactly. The okay. brand new one and feeling, you know, we talked about this a little in episode zero, like that connection between like, oh, this dude is one of us, you know, because so often the, the, the people that I'm connected to culturally as a Southerner, and the people that I'm connected to in terms of my like political orientation and beliefs about the world very often felt pretty far apart. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there was something about that attraction to Steve in that, like he both writes awesome songs and um, I agree with him. And yeah. The content some, is there. Right. Too. And he had some guts putting this out, you know, it's like, you know, the scene of the early days of the Iraq war, early It's 2000s. the most ballsy thing he's done in his yeah, career. Cause you're going to contrast John Walker's blues with Toby Keith doing courtesy of the red, white, and yep. blue. You know what I mean? Um, so 
that was around then. And it was somewhere around the time of early 2000s being into half acre gun room that I like took a, a dive back from mm-hmm. the start. And that is when I got into guitar town. And I remember Brian Hartley made me a CDR. And I think the main reason was pretty practical because we were going to start doing someday as a full band mm-hmm. in our set. And so I was like learning the electric guitar parts, like along with that to accompany him playing the, uh, the acoustic rhythm, but um, fell in love with the record, like overall from that. So yeah, it was probably, you know, one of the like, like fourth or fifth Steve Earle records that I really got into. Um, but that's like, that's kind of how I came around to it. It was like this Copperhead Road and then a jump to the early 2000s material. And then that's what prompted me to go back to the beginning. Um, so yeah, that's my relationship with it. Should we, uh, should we dive in, start taking this track by track? Yeah, first, where would you put this record in your, uh, in your, your tiers? Top is tier. This, this is top tier. If I have, if we're, if I'm going three tiers mentally, mm-hmm. um, this is in the top. I would say it's probably top three for me. I think this is. I don't. I wouldn't put it all the way in my top three, but I would say it's in the top tiers of of my my canon for Steve Earle. Mm-hmm. But just based on the um, the fact that I think it's just a solid country record. Mm-hmm. Like the other records that I would put above this one or in this tier with it, it has to do with the fact that I see that he did like he made a risk yeah. with this record or the content is just so much more speaking to me Yes. than, um, than what this one does. Because this one has the songs that do, but there are whole records that I feel like I'm like, does he fucking know me? Yeah, man. <laughs> And, and I'll say that, you know, we can get into this, you know, as we start going track by track, but you're just reminding me of like, you know, all, all of our experiences with art, you know, we are projecting our own like experiences onto that, right? Like that's the nature mm-hmm. of it, right? Um, it's going to hit us in a certain way because none of this happens, you know, in a vacuum, like all of the experiences we've had, good, bad, or whatever are going to make a piece of art in this case a record like hit us in a certain way but it is interesting because like steve often plays characters in his songs right mm-hmm. like they're you know often clearly written from a Some perspective of my favorite songs. That is not hit exactly but like there's one song on this record where i'm almost like this feels like such a stretch um even though it's a character but it kind of fits into like this is is this one of those songs you had to do because this is your first full length on MCA and it's 1986. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so some of my suspicions were confirmed too, because I did some quick checking on like, which were the songs that Steve wrote by himself, um, yeah. which were some of the songs that were co-written. So um, I fucking think I have an idea of which song you're thinking of too. Do you when wanna, we get to it? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it when we yeah. get to it. Cause I'd love okay. to, I mean, I, I love this record, but there's a song that is my standout favorite. And there's one song that if there was anything I'd skip and I still don't skip it, to be honest, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. skip it. But I, if there I, was, uh, yeah. Listening to it today. I think, I think I had the same thought you, you, you had. So I'm, I'm <laughs> awesome. interested to see if we think it's the same one. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, this um, is fun. Well, yeah, let's get into this fucking guitar town, man. Guitar town. Like what? Like I got. The thing that sticks out to me after having heard this song now, it's got to be hundreds of times, right? But thinking about it from the 
perspective of, of wanting to share is there's so many damn good one-liners in it, mm -hmm. right? Two-pack habit and a motel tan. Yep. You know what I mean? And to the point where I had to like, I was doing some Googling of like, is a motel tan referencing something that I'm not familiar with? And then kind of realizing, no, it's it because just means, you're not in the sunlight. Yeah. It just means you don't <laughs> ever <laughs> go out in the daytime, <laughs> right? You're out at night and then you're sleeping in the motel yep. during the daytime. That's what's up. Um, and then the other thing I'm thinking of is just, I had another connection. I definitely, you know, this is not intended to be like a guitar nerd podcast, but I will say the first time I understood what tremolo was as an effect, which is very commonly uh -huh. used in country music, was like the super simple, but awesome, like little lead parts in Guitar yeah. Town. You know, just the, that kind of followed. And like, once I realized what that was, I became like obsessed with it and wanting yeah. to be able to replicate that as a guitar player. So, I mean, just what a, what a damn solid opener like yeah no it's 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 amazing like i'm reading along the lyrics right now and just like it's it's w the one of the things i i wrote down for the song is uh this record i feel like is for musicians yes like in guitar town especially is for touring like if you are mm -hmm. in a band and you are and you feel like you've got to go out and you've got to do this in front of as many people as possible and you want to do like you know 15 shows 15 days or 16 shows 15 days like that is this is this is the record for you that even if you hate country music yeah you can hear this song you can, you can read these lyrics and you go well, fuck yeah yeah like it's like just rambling man music it's just fucking perfect yeah it really like, is like it's a ver it's a you know it, it's it's got like turn the page-esque vibes without going into some of the cheesiness in my mm -hmm. opinion of that song um, no for sure my back to the riser i make my stand you yep. know what i mean there's a certain i think there's certain folks that if they wrote a line like that i might roll my eyes a little bit but with steve i was like dude i have not done much touring in my life but i am right there with you yeah like, dude the 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 i love to hear the steel belts humming on the asphalt like yeah wake up in the middle of the night in a truck stop stumble in the restaurant wonder why i don't stop like i just i love like just fucking like dude one of my favorite moments on tour is waking up and stumbling into the fucking gas station yeah and just like getting something bad for me and then walking back to the van like listening to the conversations in the van and then falling back asleep <laughs> like yeah that's one of my favorite parts of being on tour and like like at the end of the summer i'm gonna go on like the longest tour i've done in years and i just fucking can't wait because we have such miserable drives on the tour like we've got to make it from louisville to calgary in two days yeah like <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna get off work and go right in the van and we're gonna drive straight to fargo and i just can't fucking wait yeah i can't wait to just be miserable in fargo it's amazing. like it's just gonna be so fun because just being with your your team and right. just, just all of you having this mutual suffering that you're going through because you just yeah. got to get out there you just got to go I mean, with a drive like that, you get into the kind of like tour brained inside jokes kind of stuff happening before you've even played the first show. First show. Yeah, you know, usually absolutely. it takes a few days to get into that mm -hmm. mode, uh, but that's yeah. like right off the bat. And yeah, also there's, shot. it's yeah, but <laughs> I think that makes for, if nothing else, like you said, a more enjoyable experience. Um, mm -hmm. There's something too around after that line that you just shared, you know, he's uh, it's 
got to keep rocking while I still can. Got a two-pack habit and a Motel 10. There's something in there too, just about like, I know this probably won't last forever. So oh, I yeah. really need to do this now. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you talk to Steve in 1986 and say- He would not think he'd even be alive now, A, right. or B, still doing it. Exactly. All these years, nearly 40 yep. years later, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's like, there's something too in the, that I relate to in sort of the like- Urgency. Urgency living in mm-hmm. the moment now, because it's like, I, you know, I'm at some point, I'm probably going to have to, you know, go back to San Antonio and get a real job. Yep. It's probably part of the, the thought mm-hmm. process, you know, so I better enjoy the hell out of this while I can. And that's yeah. like, I, I think that also that colors this record so much because he, he go he runs away to Nashville when he's a teenager, right? He's 19 years old when he runs away to Nashville. And, um, and then this record doesn't come out until he's like 32. Yeah. He had been grinding for a long time. So this these songs, I think these, I think that's one of the reasons why this record hits so hard. Yeah. Even though there's, you know, a song, a song that we both may be the same song. We, we both think <laughs> can be skipped. Um, is he really honed these, this record yeah. before releasing it. Like he that's had right. to work on this one. And I think it's obvious that this, record had a lot of thought put into it Mm -hmm. and a lot of experience put into it too yeah um but yeah i don't know i don't think i really have much more for guitar town other than just uh incredible first song man yeah i like hooked from the start i totally agree um and interesting too i mean just to note this is no expert thing here i just always enjoy like what songs were released as the singles Mm -hmm. um guitar town was actually the second single that was released for this record um and is someday the other one there are there were four. Oh, so shit. interestingly enough hillbilly highway which we'll talk about in a minute okay. was the first um and then the next song that we're going to talk about goodbye is all we've got left to say that was the second um that was the fourth oh fourth okay someday was third. i think those songs go into each other so well they really do so let's let's talk about it um i mean there's something like thematically I'll just, for me you know talking about my experience as a fan it's like within the first two songs he's already tapped in to two of the most like you know feelings that I that deeply resonate with me right the mm-hmm. first like I gotta keep moving I, I if you've ever toured you know like whether you were in a bus or in a shitty punk band like I was playing to 15 people like you've something here resonates with you. Mm -hmm. And then this next song, which lyrically fits into a little bit more of like a classic country breakup song kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But like that realization of like, damn, there really is nothing left to say. Yeah. Like that's it. And I I think again, it's just like a few of the lines um, I could open it. uh, There's a line about a letter. I could open it up when I'm stronger maybe 10 or 12 years could be longer. Maybe just longer, that realization yeah. of like, I want have you this. Ever, have you ever been broken up with over a letter before? I don't think over a letter. I've been um, broken up. Well, I've been broken up with via a note. Via a that note. Was, that was left. Ooh, it was high. basically just a don't be here when I later when I get home. Damn. <laughs> I think those are colloquially referred to as a, as a dear John letter, yep. but we could call it a dear Steve letter. In this. Yeah. <laughs> instance damn so 
that means this is probably highly relatable. Oh yeah, it resonates. I mean, I think I, I think anybody who's uh, who's been love struck and love sick at any point in their life has has had enough relationships to have been in one where you know it's over. Right. And you're basically just one of you is one of you is fully realize that the other one's going to leave yeah and just doesn't know when or want to be the one to initiate it Mm -hmm. but is absolutely certain it will be initiated at some point yeah absolutely i mean and so there's like that's what's there that's like so relatable is just like that almost like pulling the band-aid off Mm -hmm. you know there's really nothing here that we can salvage truly goodbye is all we have left to say but then also just like I don't know, another highlighting of like, for me, Steve's ability to go between, I can do some more like classic country, almost like outlawish type of Mm -hmm. stuff. And then I could write something that would be very at home on the radio, especially, especially at that time when I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about in the mid to late eighties, some of the other like popular country stuff that would have been around, you know, Um, like a, a, a really melodic driving piano underneath it you know Mm -hmm. um it's i think also he does such a good job with um with using um like terms of the time Mm. like he he's not afraid to talk about like like satellite radio in another record he's not afraid to to reference things that that really date like because i mean well given you know he would would have never been able to imagine a fucking cell phone right at that time but like the line like don't try to call me because I'm taking my phone out because yeah. it rings. I'll know what it's about. Like, yep. like just like, like I love how unafraid he is to, um, to address something at that time that mm-hmm. may not be universal forever. Yeah. But like a time capsule, like this gets to sit it, but it's still understandable. Like you can yeah. still, the, the, the message isn't lost because you know, a TikTok kid wouldn't, understand you know like what's that even like you right know, it's like, like getting taking your phone off the hook was the you know equivalent <laughs> then of like putting your shit on do not disturb yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's like it's like airplane mode and it's right, just right. i don't know it's just uh i i i think i think that he does that with throughout his records but i think it's it's pretty well done in that song and i do see where like this song absolutely was like a commercial song that could have gone yeah and was the smart single like totally i feel the same way like it is and what's fascinating about it too it's 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 not like one of my top top favorite songs on the Mm -hmm. record but it's one that i really enjoy right like because i can just be like this is a this is a well done song yeah one of the things i wrote down uh for the song too is the, the drums sound so incredible too like yeah um and in like and we talked about this being like a digital recording like one of the first digitally recorded uh, uh, yeah. country records. Um, and I think that like I've, I heard, I listen, I tried listening to a podcast that um, that talked about this record mm. um, and it became immediately clear that these people hate country music or have no fondness for country music in the first place. Or if they oh, do, no. it's like that, like, like that when we talk, like we talked in episode zero, like the people who are like kind of snobs about their country music. Right like they only like like Johnny Cash or like, you know, like just like you're, you don't care to dig a little deeper. Yeah. Like your, your tertiary 
like interest, your passing interest with this. Um, and one of the things they were, they were hating on the drums and the the echo on the drums or whatever. I think the drums on this record sound good. I and too. I think, I think the drums in this song especially sound amazing. Um, and I think it also has to do with like, kind of like the, like the kind of like groove beats and whatnot on it. Like, yeah. cause there, there are like tons of bands right here. And I'm like, I can hear hardcore in this. Totally. <laughs> like, I, like I, I mean, the drums sound big, right? Yes. Like I, I want, mm -hmm. and that's a thing to me. Like I, I actually, regardless of genre, um, I mean, like, frankly, we haven't even gotten into this, but I think it's kind of like one of the reasons that I hate stuff like the Grateful Dead is I'm almost like, hit it harder yeah you know even when they've got some stuff like you know they've got some country-ish stuff that is fine you know yeah with the uh, casey jones or whatever yeah, that's, stuff that song like that. rocks that's, but I'll that's have, good I have but yeah friends, no jam I've, band shit doesn't do it yeah but i'll 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 like literally be like i'm watching you strum this guitar and hit these keys and play these drums and you're just doing some weak shit you look like you're me, afraid to break it right and for me yeah. i don't care if you're playing hardcore metal or country hit that shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause it almost too makes it it's when there's a contrast and when you go into like an acoustic ballad or something like that, mm -hmm. that it hits you harder because of the dynamics. Yes. Because before you were just like rocking my face yeah, off with exactly. a driving beat. And if everything's just kind of, mm, you know, it, it gets boring. And, and it's like, funny though, because we're literally talking about that in a song called goodbyes all we got left like yeah like it's a sad song sad and, <laughs> and, and we're talking about how hard the drums hit i know sad and slow it's a good <laughs> yeah. is all we got left to say it's slow you know what i mean yeah. especially compared to other stuff too which again is why it's like very radio friendly mm -hmm. um but i think there's a theme in there too and again this is me like you talking about that other podcast, right? I mean, it's just another thought, not just about this song, but about Steve's stuff in general, is there's a real like insider outsider thing, right? Mm -hmm. Going on because it's like, clearly, I mean, he sold millions of records. He's got millions of streams on Spotify. He's still doing this and has made an amazing career, you know, 40-ish years later, but he's never been mainstreamed to your yep. point before mm -hmm. right and so i can see there's something like he even mentions this line which got changed in the single version i've made this note about the opening track guitar town 37 dollars in a jap guitar they mm -hmm. changed to cheap guitar actually in the singles version really and i think that's likely because of you know he might have just been trying to say a japan a non-american made guitar mm -hmm. um but obviously like that can and is interpreted as a slur, um, especially because yeah. I remember that time would be when folks were wearing like shirts around that said like Toyota from the people that brought you Pearl Harbor and things like that. And, um, you know, obviously not realizing too that like uh, you got a lot of like American cars that aren't made here. And mm -hmm. there's also a Mazda plant in the town I used to live in in Mississippi. But all that aside about like, you know, global commerce there's something there about like, oh, he's not playing a Gibson. Oh, yeah. he recorded this digitally rather than on an ancient reel-to-reel -reel that, mm -hmm. you know, Chet Atkins recorded on. Yeah. What is this? You know? And so there's something there about like him never being fully accepted by that like traditional Nashville establishment, yeah. which I think for us is probably part of the attraction. Absolutely. You know? Um but yeah, yeah. I, can, I don't. I don't hear a slur. I hear an admission to being poor. 
that's exactly it, right? <laughs> and it's also just a funny thing about how shit changes. Yeah. I have I have one Japanese guitar that's the one of the nicest guitars that I own, but it being like in the in the context of 1986, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? They were Yo, like, I mean, we're oh, we're watching uh we're watching Treme and one of the there's been a a, a recurring character in a couple episodes who's this Japanese uh, jazz fan who comes over um, because he's just such a big fan of jazz and he wants to be in Katrina. Yeah. He wants to, he wants to be in new Orleans, like after Katrina to try to help these yeah. musicians out. And he's just like throwing money at, at, right. at, at these musicians who he's heard of who are nobodies. Right. Because they're famous to him in Japan because he's heard them on these recordings. Yeah. But then he meets them and they're just like regular people who are just like struggling to be alive. And it's like, right. I don't know. It's this really neat moment, especially like right now with like all the shit going on with Japan. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is very not good, but um, uh, like it was really nice to like, like have like a character like that be like, I don't know. It, it's not like, like showing how like how music can you know cross borders and cross totally and bring people together of different like cultures and different like um um i don't know backgrounds and whatnot and yeah and just if people want to support each other and i thought i think totally that's like the but, connect uh, the connected humanity through that and then also like the genuine surprise to be like these folks are my idols and then i come over and meet them in person and it's like such a such an injustice that the people that make music that's so meaningful like can't afford to feed and house themselves just yes. based on their music you mm -hmm. know even though like they've what they have created is so special to me yeah um but yeah that's exactly what it was it's an admission to being poor working with what you got it's like yep. this is the guitar i could afford and being an outsider you know because mm -hmm. i think that's what it is too it's like yeah and there's something relatable there too to me as a like punk and hardcore musician which is like I didn't have parents that could buy me a Les Paul right out the gate. You know, yeah. I had to, I had to earn that shit over many, many, many years. Um, and like, it's, it's funny in some circles, nobody gives a shit, yeah. but in the context of Nashville trying to break into the country music establishment, like people like that, that's a sign of an Wait, What are you playing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. last night, the, uh, the, um, the the punk band who played who played last they were playing out of combo amps yeah and um and i know it's probably just because they knew how to get their tone right on those combo amps and they were way better than they had any right to be being a band playing out of fucking combo amps mm -hmm. and uh i told their singer afterwards i said yo you got to get your boys to get real cabs because or real real amps because you guys are better right <laughs> like yeah. you guys are better than than what you're presenting and uh and if you can figure that out, you can, you do this. Totally. <laughs> like, totally. You do this. You had an energy. They had a, they had an amazing, uh, like attitude Their Um, their, uh, their vocalist had like an IWW back tattoo. Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah. It's fucking sick, dude. He was, uh, yeah. they were, they were real fucking rad. Um, and, um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of charm in admitting your, you know, your limitations, Right. And just, you know, saying, fuck it, I'm still going for it. Fuck yeah. And that actually is a really good segue into the next track. Yes. Because um, the Hillbilly Highway, you know, again, another character story, but like very similar theme. It's like, uh, I know is... people whose grandparents did it. 
Yeah, like that's the literal story from from Appalachia into cities in the north, yep. right? Yeah, into Pittsburgh, into uh, I've got friends who um, I've my my old roommate, his dad was a steel worker in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he just went where the work was. That's right. I mean, it's the reason why the Detroit population boomed so yeah. hard. Yeah, was because the work left left the the hills and went went to the cities. So. Um, I think that song is it, it also it does such a good job, like even like going relating it back to Guitar Town. Yeah. Um, because it tells that story of his grandfather or, you know, not his grandfather, but a yeah. grandfather and a father, which I, I think the father part is actually pretty accurate because I mean, his dad had the oil job and whatnot yeah. in uh, in Houston. Yeah. Um, but that um, and um, and I know like I think his one side of his family is from like that uh daniel boone uh Mm -hmm. eastern kentucky area yeah like i know he was born in virginia but Mm -hmm. i know like part of his family's from like that appalachian region in uh in kentucky so i mean it could even be that his grandpa did make that trip and that was what led to um right to him having more opportunity because his dad had more opportunity but i just love that idea that like you know grandpa had to leave to go find the works because he wanted to build a better life for his son his son found a good job and Mm -hmm. you know kept it going but you know what fuck it i gotta go too that's right and it's like you know he might the the line about like hey granddaddy might be you know rolling over in his grave because i dropped out of high school and i'm just sitting here playing guitar but then also making the connection of like I'm actually carrying on this tradition. Yes. I'm doing what y'all did. It's just my, mm-hmm. my labor looks different than yours did, but we yes. all, we all had that pull of, we got to go to where the work is. And mm-hmm. this, so this is what I'm doing. Um, I love that. And this was actually, I was, I, I mean, I was surprised. This was the first single that was released. Um, yeah. I'm, I, and, that, that kind of surprised me too, because yeah. it's really saying a lot. Yeah. And I, and that's my thinking too, about like, is there something there about the relatability? Is there something that, because the, the music on this track, I think more so than some of the others maybe fits into a little bit more of a template of mm-hmm. like a, a classic country song in a way that, you know, a lot of Steve's other songs don't to me, it's just a sign of like, he's such a master of the craft. He can do something that sounds totally unique or he can take a classic country or like another track coming up later, like rockabilly song and make it sound like purely his own as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, yeah. And it just builds into this bigger theme. I, at one point I was checking off, like how many songs on this record, like have in them a theme about like, I got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. I got to like, I got to go. And this is, this is another one of several where that's like a pretty central theme. Yeah, like one one of the things I wrote to it or I wrote down for this is this is exactly what I go to Steve Roll for, ah. like working class stories. Like that is what yep that is what I I want to hear a story about people who are just wanting better yes for their lives. And I also love the the turn that like so his his granddad wanted a better life for his dad so he could you know go to work using his brains and not his hands right and then turn around steve Earl saying fuck this no i want to use my hands that's but I'm right use my brains too I, I didn't think about that such a good connection because yeah being a musician and a songwriter like marries the mm-hmm. mental and the physical in that and, way too and i i heard something recently um uh like um 
it, like isn't like an advertisement for a like a podcast about um i think it's it's trying to whitewash reagan's uh um amnesty uh thing where like reagan granted amnesty to so many immigrants and whatnot mm-hmm. and um they're trying to like paint reagan as like a more sympathetic figure even though we've got recordings of him being incredibly racist oh yes um <laughs> but uh um this um is like regarding this immigrant who like you know had like you know calluses on his hands and whatnot and, like he just wanted so bad that for his kid to be able to like work with with a pencil mm-hmm. rather than having to like shovel shit mm-hmm. and um for me i hate hearing stories like that because not like i hate the idea that somebody feels like they have to do that just so their kid can get away from that but then at the same time somebody's got to do that work absolutely and i in that and that that stuff like when when we get like into ideas like that about like creating generational wealth and whatnot like i i find so much trouble because like i want to just get rid of wealth in general yeah like (laughs) i think that's not a good like goal for everybody to have because it means that because you have that somebody else doesn't right like that is what wealth is like to become wealthy is to hoard something from other people and um it's it's just funny because like we like working at a grocery store um i have so many conversations with people in uh who are customers who are displeased with how things are, are going. And I mm. say, well, nobody works here. Like nobody works here. We can't get anybody to work here. They don't pay enough for people to work here. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice though, if you could come and volunteer like an hour or so and leave with a cart full of groceries? Yeah. Wouldn't that be an interesting way that this worked? Dude. W- wouldn't it? And then, yeah. and then, and I'm like, I'm like bread pilling these people on this shit where I'm like, explaining like this is a better way for this stuff to work. And it's that you go and you, you help somebody do something. Mm-hmm. And then in return, you just get to like feed yourself. You get to feed yourself. It, it's and, about, especially and you, and, and you, right. and you, and you earned it. <laughs> right. And, w- and when, I mean, there's two things there. It's like one, especially when the commodity is something that everyone should have a right to, mm-hmm. which is food. And then the other thing being like, to your point, Tyler, if workers truly owned the value of their labor, um, there wouldn't need to be this divide between like, I work with my hands or I work in the factory or the field Mm -hmm. and I do, we all work and we all help each other. Right. Because all of it is, it's like, yeah, what, what produces value? Do you believe it's labor or do you believe it's like this person should make more money because they had more money to start with? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, for those of you who, you know, weren't expecting it, uh, Welcome to Hardcore Troubadour uh, Communist Podcast. But I mean, what did you, come on, Hardcore Kids talking about Steve Earle, like, yeah, a renowned socialist for his whole life. If you're surprised, maybe you were just a little naive. And so, um, but that's like, again, like such a fascinating thing, because there's that whole, you know, whether it's, I talk about this a lot too, to make a connection in like the world of education where I work, right? I think so many often well-intentioned educators have sold, you know, kids in poor communities. And that includes both urban and rural communities. This idea of like, you, you know, we got to get you out of here, right? Like you're smart, you're talented, you're whatever. And there is a very like, there's an element of that that is practical, 
but it's only practical because of the capitalist system we live under, yeah. right? Where it's like, okay, that is the truth. If you do want to be able to like build wealth for your family, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Cause that work ain't here. But wouldn't whatever. it be better but, to keep them in their community? Exactly. Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it because, be better for them to influence their peers? Because it also ends up creating this again, like stigma and where you will have people then become like ashamed. Oh, they're, they're, they're only, or they're only here because right. we got to meet this, this, this quota. Right. So they get right. So people perceive that they didn't quote earn, earn it. what they yeah. got. Or then it, 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 you know, in addition to all of the other challenges that folks face um, who like come from a low income background, but then end up getting into like an elite university or a job or whatever it might be. There's also this contention of this, like feeling some shame about where you're from and your community Mm -hmm. when actually like you should feel pride. Right. And I think the same thing is true with what you're talking about. Like I would want folks to be proud of the labor that they do but but i know i am i'm yeah. proud every day Hell when yeah. i leave my job and i know that i accomplished everything that i needed to do that nothing i left no stone unturned for somebody else to have to work harder and that's fucking awesome like that's and, and that's why i keep doing it <laughs> and that yeah and but like not every worker has that orientation yeah. and it's not because they like quote don't get it but it's because like this is the system they know mm-hmm. and so they're made to feel ashamed of that work because it doesn't pay them the wage that, you know, their family, you know, might need to live comfortably. Right. And so you end up with folks or saying the way stuff the like TV tells them they should be paid. Exactly. Because they should have all these nice things. Right. Because these nice things mean you're successful. Exactly. Is, and also when you open up your Instagram or whatever, you look at so many people's lives who are projecting oh themselves as being so much more wealthy or so much happier than they actually are. And it's like, okay, cool. And you know, what's wild, dude, it's, it's not just Instagram. It's like every form of social media. I had to go on. I mean, you want to talk about a a person who does not work with their hands. I had to go on fucking LinkedIn to do some shit the other day, which is, you know, like corporate work connection or whatever. And I'm like, yo, all this does is like make me feel bad about myself, you know, <laughs> or there's, you know, and there's that like meme that goes around because I was looking at it and I almost just wanted to post like, you know, people say like, ah, blah, 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 dream job. And I'm like, dream job. I'm, I do not dream of laboring for others. No, You know what I mean? No. Like this is not, I mean, I am similar to you. I'm proud of the work that I do. My dream am, job is, put, think, is shipping out records and putting yeah. together records and helping people facilitate totally. things like that and playing music and, yeah. and volunteering my time to, uh, to, help, to help people who are unhoused and shit. Like that's Dude, what I would love to do for a living. hundred percent mutual aid <laughs> and art. That would be like my Sounds life. Great. But like, you know, I feel very lucky that like, I like my job. You know, it's not that I'm like miserable there every day, but like if I didn't have to do it to feed my family, fuck no, I'd, I'd find plenty of ways to occupy my time if it weren't for the need of that paycheck. Right. So, well, on um, the subject of that good old boy getting tough, dude, you mentioned Reagan and I was like, here we go, man. (laughs) This is my, this is my favorite song on the record. This is your favorite song on the record. Absolutely. Tyler, I fucking hate this song, man. Really? This is the one that I. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. Let me tell you. Let me. Let me. Holy shit! I'm gonna put a couple things out there real quick, and then I want to hear this. And this is like why I'm so excited to be doing this podcast, right? So, I, the song itself, 
fine, right? And there's stuff here that I really like relate to, especially as a Southern man who comes from a working class background. I hear this song very differently in 2022 than I think I did in 2002, which was probably mm-hmm. the first time I heard it. And then, then was an older song because it's so interesting to me to think, well, one, the like, you know, grew up in a land of plenty. Now there ain't enough. It's fascinating that like he could write that lyric in 1986 and it would resonate with people. And there are like people today, including a lot of like MAGA people who like when they're thinking about when it used to be the good old days, they're thinking about this time, yeah. the, the Reagan era in the eighties. Uh-huh. And it also is making me think too, I've had to, um, the other thing that's influencing this maybe is, you know, being a Southern person who lives in New York city and, um, you know, over the, the course, especially of the past, I guess, since 2016, you know, the, the great interest that, uh, like institutional, like legacy media from New York city and like the East coast has taken in, you know, learning more about the experiences of like white folks in the South. And there's one, that feeling of like, y'all are getting a very, you know, perverted picture of who that actually is. Because Mm -hmm. let me tell you something, the people that are driving over here in a $70,000 pickup truck to complain are not the people with economic anxiety Mm-hmm. You're talking to a motherfucker that owns a car dealership. Yeah. But because you've never met any people like that, because you are, you know, Harvard, you never leave your, you right. You're Harvard, your Yale educated, yeah. right. Where, where wealth to you is this like old money, waspy new England kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, no, that is not a working. It's like, you think he's a working person because he has a baseball hat and he drives a truck. Um, yeah, no, but I think there's something there too. Talk to I, the people who work for that guy. Exactly. Those are the so people. It just made me think it's less so about, you know, Steve and the character he's playing in this song, mm-hmm. but more so, I think I have a very negative reaction to the way that there are motherfuckers throughout this country that make six figures who mm-hmm. have co-opted this kind of like, yes. well, it's so tough and the taxes and the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, you drive a brand you don't, you drive a brand new truck that you don't even use for work that like costs more than well, four no, of my cars. And that's why I think you this know? song, even out the gates speaks to me so much because I got yeah. a job, but ain't nearly enough. A $20,000 pickup truck belongs to me and the bank, bank and some funny talking man from Iran. Right. Like fucking phenomenal. Just immediately addressing that, that, that ownership yeah. is so out of the fucking realm. Cause I just paid so the many note, people. you know, just like the yeah. note. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then going down to, you know, uh, left the service on a GI loan, got married, bought myself a home. I hang around this one horse town and do the best I can. Like the dude born in the land of plenty. And now, and now it ain't enough. Like this, this to me, these songs. And I guess I can hear where like, I can hear where songs like this have been co-opted by people who do not know what real struggle is. People who have actually enforced struggle on other people um, who have cleaning ladies or, you know, or, you know, 
many or or run a or run a fucking um or run a shooter's bar and grill and yeah. <laughs> have you know in in poison people and fucking <laughs> and like, then get elected to congress and yep. then get elected to fucking congress yep. like like i can understand where those people have co-opted this shit but i think just out the gates that first line completely alienates those people and says no mm. this song is not for you fuck you ah because if you own your truck fuck you interesting this yeah. song is for the motherfuckers who don't own their truck which and i say this as a motherfucker who owns my truck but only because my fucking girlfriend's dad gave it to me. That's what's up, man. <laughs> I wouldn't own a fucking truck if it wasn't for that. I was getting ready to have to sell my fucking van or just yeah. drive it into the goddamn ground like I've done every other vehicle I've ever had. Yeah. And when net with the the idea of me buying the truck from her her dad or him just giving it to us, he thought about me paying him for this truck on top of paying my mortgage. And said, you know what? No, I'm just going to give it to him because, you know, whatever. I well, guess I'm a good guy. I was like, sounds like a good dude. <laughs> no, fucking great guy. Yeah. But again, again though, no. you know, not, not exactly line, aligned with me in my, uh, my political ideologies. Sure. But at the same time, we can always agree that rich people are terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what's up. But yeah. And then moving even further down in this, this, uh, this song that my brother's standing on the, on the where welfare line any minute now might get mine like meanwhile it's the irs and the devil to pay like i yeah. dude i'm such a sucker for johnny paycheck and i love yeah. i love johnny paycheck so much and i love how much he fucking hated the irs yeah so just like any reference to the fact that like like legit like when you look at like the irs and how they collect taxes from people it's so like the bottom is where all the money comes from. Oh, totally. Or like, I, like I saw, it's a disproportionate amount of of like, when, especially audits. That's what. I, yeah, the aud- amount of people who get audited are almost all in the south. Are almost <laughs> all in the south. Almost all like low income people, and to yeah. the point where it's like the amount of money they spend on conducting the audit, you know, of like staff mm-hmm. time and labor from the that government agency means that there's no way it's actually like making any money for the treasury. Right. But the argument becomes like, well, the really wealthy people have so much protection in terms of lawyers and loopholes and accountants and stuff that like, it's really hard to go after them. So we'll go after this dude who made a thousand bucks painting for his friend um, that he didn't claim. I mean, I can't, I can't remember her name, but that, uh, that socialist mayor who was running in Buffalo, they went after her. That was one of the things they went after her for was like, Oh, she got audited by the IRS because like her, her fucking shitty ex-boyfriend like did a bunch of like weird financial stuff and fucked her over. And I remember listening to somebody talking about it. It was like, Oh wow. You guys made her even more relatable. (laughs) Dude, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. What a, Oh, I could go off for days about that. Or just the way that even when, even in the situations where somebody does manage to get elected, like I used to live in Jackson, Mississippi, and the mayor there is Chakwe Lumumba, who is a socialist. Um, but like how the county and the state governments, which are, you know, it's it's your typical thing that you're seeing. You've got most cities in the South and across the country. You've got an urban core that is very diverse, very black, um, and very left-leaning, you know, and then but who like actually like holds power because like all this, you know, land gets as much representation or whatever mm-hmm. ends up, you know, making a state the, the basically the blackest and 
probably the most left state in the deep south is Mississippi, and yet you wouldn't know it from their political reputation uh, yep. representation, right? But um, you know, they're able to basically handicap like mm -hmm. the this person any progress in, yeah. in the policies that they want uh, because it's like, well, you're talking about bringing free, clean water to you know people that have had like bad plumbing or had to boil their water or things like that. But uh, this regulation, you as the mayor don't actually have the power to do that. This all white county board, or this all Republican state agency or something like that. And so it's like a anyway to and then to connect that back to that song. Right. It's like all these things conspiring together is what ends up with this lived experience. Right. That's mm -hmm. reflected here. I want to ask you a question, though, that um, that brothers on the welfare line, you know, I'll get mine, you know, or, or matter of time. I listen to that. I've listened to that multiple times and I'm realizing that I've interpreted it two different ways. Right. Cause there's the one side of like, hell, if things keep going the way they are, I'm probably gonna have to join him on that line. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other side of like, I'll get mine that could reflect like many working people in this country's like delusion that like, yeah, but I'm going to fucking get rich. Oh, the temporarily you know I mean? embarrassed millionaire yeah, mentality. Yeah. You yeah, know, like, nice. you know, that's I'm going to, but you know, I'm going to, yeah, he's got to be on the welfare line. That's a, that's a sign of how bad things are. You see, you know I, what? I see it on the other hand, I see yeah. him addressing the fact that, that um, he's closer to the welfare line than he is to success. Yeah. That's the way it hits me because that's yeah. how I see the world. <laughs> I mean, and I've actually, I think for the, you know, again, I'm totally, owning that if we had talked about this song a few years ago it, it was it would have been hitting me very differently because i think everything you're sharing really resonates and especially that first line i hadn't really thought about it that way mm -hmm. you know that realization of like yeah it's my truck but it ain't really my truck is the bank's truck you know what i mean yeah. um which like, there's another a, song that references the same thing on this yeah. record and i dude like i I, I, one of the things which anybody who's a punk hardcore kid will appreciate, I feel like Steve Earle is the Scott Vogel of country music. Like, <laughs> he feel, like he wondered, does he know me? Like, Dude, that is the, I was like, that's, that's the, that's the, like the header line of episode one of this podcast for sure. And it's also making me think like, I wonder like lyrically, I think, yes, I don't know if, um, Steve's ever like whipped me into a frenzy by like, you know, encouraging me to stage dive the way that Scott has. But yeah. They, they, well, they're also they, using different drugs. <laughs> that's a good point too. <laughs> oh man. I love it. Um, this is dude. What we're doing here is so niche. That's going to be unrelatable for so many people, but the people for who it is relatable are going to be fucking right there with us and that's what i hope I fucking so love yeah i hope so and, and if hope, nothing you know, else maybe we pull some hardcore kids in country music maybe we pull some country people into some punk rock stuff that's what's up man that's what's <laughs> up so you know what man i like well i'll be interested to hear what your guess was for the song that i would skip because this is it right now this is this is your skipper good Damn, old boy my skipper's further down Oh, you're, oh, you, oh, I thought you meant my old friend, the blues, but yeah, no, no I, I'm, I will see where, like, I'll tell you my skipper later, but yeah, but my, um, my skipper is good old boy yeah. getting tough and it, it wouldn't have always been, but I do think, man, I'll own it. It's all about, it's me. There's been something about just the combination of the like 
the the, the perpetual victimhood of a, a certain brand of you white know, person, conservative white person who's actually very wealthy, mm-hmm. um, but insists that they're the victim, and um, and the like liberal East Coast media elite, Ivy League educated. Um, like taking that at face value yes. every single time because mm-hmm. they see they see a truck or they hear a southern accent and they think poor and uneducated yeah, even yeah. though I'm like no uh, you're a journalist and this person like has a boat and when you adjust for cost of living they're actually a lot wealthier than you yeah. but you're, I mean it's the <laughs> it's the it's the Canadian trucker convoy dude like yes when absolutely. they looked into it and they found that all the people participating in it were like all the bosses of course, because everybody else like, had to work, damn it. Like exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, th- this was a great discussion. I'm glad we mm-hmm. dove in on the song like that. No, I the next track, I mean, you want to talk about just both thematically and musically, like taking a real turn. I love oh, yeah. my old friend the blues. And it's almost, you know, Tyler, what I was referencing before, I feel like because there's so many good rocking parts on the first four tracks mm-hmm. of this record. When that like very somber acoustic intro comes in, it like just pulls you in because he's able to like, I really appreciate artists that can do this dynamic range thing. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of Julian Baker. Um, Does nothing for me. Okay. Fair enough. I feel an affinity to her because we're from the same town oh, really? um, and, and she grew up a punk kid in Memphis. Although I, made I the mean, point, I know she's yeah. like in the know. Yeah. But like that, that whole like group, like um, what's, what's the other one? Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. You don't like it. I, I love a uh, better oblivion community center. Okay. She's the thing I actually like about that. Interesting. Like I, I, well, I'm, yeah. I'm a big Connor Oberst guy. I love Desperacitos. Yeah. I don't care for Bright Eyes, but I yeah. love Desperacitos. But also, too, man. what's Desperacitos writing songs about? The shit I think. So, dude, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, uh, I, I need to revisit, read music, speak Spanish. It's been a long time dude, since I've been so fucking heavy. It's so fucking it. good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I, but yeah, as far in, in all that circle, yeah. like the only thing I can get down with is that better Olivia thing because yeah. I can't even do Phoebe Bridgers' solo stuff. It just doesn't right. hit. That's a discussion for another day. But what mm-hmm. I will say that reminds me, um, referencing Julian in particular. Did she do that, that she, switch? Yeah. And I think especially live is really able mm. to do this. Like I've got my full band rocking on something and then I'm going to a pin drop part and yeah. I'm a real sucker for stuff like that. And I think that's right out of the Steve Earle playbook mm-hmm. um, that we see happening here. So I love I love the song, but I also just love the transition and where it's placed in the record. Yeah, the thing, I, I feel like what I wrote about this one is like pretty much all I had to say about it. It's one of the slower songs of his I do appreciate because he yeah. can lose me on some of the heartbroken, like slow love songs. Yeah. Um, but I think this song has a lot going for it musically. I think the steel guitar is really cool on it. Yep. And uh, and I do think the lyrics like do say like I do think there's a lot to like about the lyrics in this song, mm-hmm. but I will say like a, like when we get into other records, like that we'll get to songs where, where I'm like, hey, remember where I said my old friend the blues is like the one I like. This is an example of the ones that lose me. <laughs> I hear you. I hear um, you on that. But uh, but yeah, I do. It might even be that that dynamic shift. Like it sticks out so much more. It really like does. those other love songs might like when we get into the other records. Like I might I'm gonna be looking out like. 
does this one lull to me because it comes after another slow song? Mm. Like, and there's not that dynamic shift where we go from a song about how much, like about all the problems I see in this country to a yeah. song about being completely crushed and blue all the time. And I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, duh. Cause we live in the world where the, the, we live in the land of plenty and other ain't enough. I know. <laughs> like, it's like, this is what I'm talking to my friend about at the plant. And this is when I'm home alone and can't sleep later that night mm -hmm. where I'm at. Right. And there's something yes. there too. I, I do what I do appreciate with the lyrics is like that, you know, I think too often people conflate the feeling of sadness with the actual like experience of depression, which are related, but separate things. Um, and I did think, you, did you, did you go through a firsthand uh, learning experience with, uh, Oh, I'm not depressed. I'm just sad. <laughs> I've been through many experiences and, uh, and, and have been depressed actually you very see, often too. You see, yeah. I, I went through such a mopey fucking younger years where mm -hmm. I thought I was depressed. And then I can't even remember now because I've just, I've been in therapy for so long now and I've just, I'm, I'm better mentally than I was. Yeah. But, uh, I do re recall going through like a moment, like, I mean, it was even like, I think after my knee surgery and everything yeah. where like I was, you know, getting back to normal or whatever and something was going on and I just felt like just completely lethargic. Like, um, I, uh, the thing I always, I always bring this line up cause I think it's one of my favorite, um, uh, lines in any movie in Wayne's world at the beginning when um he's given the rundown on his life and he says i thought i had mono for a year but then it just turned out i was just really bored and it yes. was like this moment in my life where i just didn't know what to do and i didn't like i didn't like i didn't feel good and then i like had this realization like maybe i'm depressed yeah. like and i've just never felt this way before right like because this isn't sadness i'm not like upset about anything in particular yeah i'm just down that's and I'd up. never felt it before. And it was so foreign to me because I spent like depression was like just a colloquial term at one point when we were younger. Right. Yeah. Where, oh, I'm just so depressed. And it's like, yeah, oh, it you're would, bummed. It, yeah. It would conflate with being bummed or sad or like exactly. just a, a temporary feeling that was about a particular thing you had experienced versus just this like, yeah. Overwhelming, just looming. Yeah. Like, like, you know, yeah. weight on my chest that wouldn't mm -hmm. go away, no matter how hard I tried to will it away. You know what I mean? Um, and so there's something there, though, in the way that there's a line about, like, you're the only sure thing I've found. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because he's using a line that, like, in another context, somebody might use to be, like, a love song about yeah. like, the person they rely on. But mm -hmm. it's about, like, you know what? There's a comfort here even though this fucking sucks. And it actually reminds me of um, a Kurt Cobain line. I miss the comfort in being sad. Um, like, you know, which, you know, it's funny to think now time-wise, that was only a few years after this, uh, yeah. that, that Kurt wrote that line. And I have no evidence that he was, uh, you know, a Steve fan, but I do know that there was something, there's something there that they both hit in those lyrics that's just very relatable in terms of, yeah, I fucking hate feeling this way, but I've felt this way so much that there's almost like a coziness to it yeah. and a comfort to it. And I think he really hits that well in this song. No, I do. I do too. I, it's, I mean, like I said, it's one of the few slow songs that doesn't lose me at all. Yeah. Right on, man. Um, well, we got to talk about someday. Yeah. This um, is side two. This is the first this is song side, on side two. two. So this is the first song on side two. This is my favorite song on the record. I knew it was. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think I, I, I already knew your history with the song. I yeah. knew that I didn't think you could have broken that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I, you had, I there's I, too much sentimentality exactly. attached to the song for you. I gave clues along the way. And it's mm-hmm. such an interesting thing being that like, I heard another person cover this song before I heard mm-hmm. Steve's version. Um, again, that relatability in terms of, I got to get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? I got to yep. keep moving. That theme, it hits that really well. A reference that, you know, the character he's playing in this record works at a service station outside of Memphis. And there's Such a good fucking song, dude. you know, Jesus and so, and, and so I have the, I have that combination of having loved the song from the moment I first heard it lyrically. And uh, there was a while that this, this cover was like part of our set. So mm-hmm. I've probably played it 50 times yeah. in front of people. And so it's probably the piece of Steve Earle's songwriting that I'm the most familiar with. Did I'm it ever like, go over well at all? Anybody uh, ever know it? It generally went over well, but it was always surprising that very rarely would people know it was a cover. And mm-hmm. so after I remember after a few times, Brian, our singer, would often just like, say because he'd want Mm -hmm. people to know like you need to be listening to steve earl so he'd be like we're gonna do a steve earl cover but when we did i'll you know it's one of those things where when somebody did know it they came right up front and sang every word like they were Mm -hmm. at a hardcore show because they were so excited to hear us covering that song right but it was amazing it was it was amazing it made the moment that more special but it was it was pretty rare it was pretty rare that somebody knew it so so yeah that's my that's my history i love the song God, dude, it, it hits me too because like where I'm from in Louisville is like the more like redneck town. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, it's a lot whiter. It's a lot more. Um, it's not like it's suburban to a certain extent, but it's more like it's more like trailer trashy suburban. I hear you. Like it's yep. not like 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 there. There's neat, nice, big, giant cul-de-sacs now. Mm-hmm. because the sprawl has has happened out to where i um i'm from in louisville but uh for a while it was like you know mostly just like single family homes and like you know one-story houses and whatnot and uh yep. you know sure there were a few houses on our streets that were bigger but um but i mean i grew up in a i mean i think my parents bought my bought our house for like 87 grand when they bought it yeah so like it's nothing. <laughs> right. And what like thinking um, what that would translate to. Yeah. 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 I mean, totally. maybe now it's worth like 120 or so. Yeah, like, but you still know, like very much on the but, lower end. Yeah. But yeah. So like uh like just that, like there ain't a lot you can do in this town, drive down to the lake and you turn back around. Like that is literally the reason why I tried to I I did a hardship transfer from for my uh because I there was no way to um like or no no i did a hardship transfer to go to a different middle school mm-hmm. because i needed to go to a middle school where i knew somebody yeah because i was so afraid to go to because i hadn't like i was so afraid to go to the middle school where i didn't know anybody right um and then by the time i got out of that middle school i was like i don't want to see anybody i went to middle school with so i literally applied to i, I like applied to get into like the high school that the fewest people from my middle school were going to yeah and it happened to be in like the more like hip, like near a skate shop area of town. So like, I just have that, like, this would have been my life if I had stayed in Fern Creek and mm-hmm. gone to the Fern Creek high school and like, 
you know, gone to the football games and, you know, done all the things that not, not you know, quit skateboarding, quit right. everything that made me weird and just, yeah. you know, became like a gun guy and like, you know, got a job at, you know, a fucking auto repair shop or some, something, which, you know, nothing against that. Of course. But at the same time, like I wouldn't have had any of the great experiences of my life that I've had. I'd have a kid and nothing against yeah. having a kid. I'm glad right. you have one. Because some of us need to have them, but to be <laughs> and can't also, just be the terrible people who have kids. And to be but, clear, I come from I had a kid at 38 years old. Yeah. Like after many I would have years had a kid of, at like 17. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my mom had me when she was 19, and I'm like, you know, went through like one not knowing if I wanted kids or we did, but like fine again having the very much privilege of getting to a place like later in life more established to choose to become parents. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, and there's something in there very relatable too, just about, you know, the, the line that comes after that, go to school to learn to read and write so you can walk into the county bank and sign away your life. I mean, and when you think about, again, like the, 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 the purpose of education in this country, right? Or I yep. think this is- Prepare stuff, you to work. Right. This is stuff that I nerd out on mm -hmm. um, as- you know, an educator myself and now someone who trains educators when I'm like, yeah, you know, old Dewey from the Dewey decimal system um, in the library. Real say, racist. Real racist and <laughs> would say things explicitly that were basically like, well, we need these people to be able to read and write, but we don't want them to be too smart. Because yep. if you get too smart, you'll start to question like the, system. the systems and structures yep. that you're in. So what do we do to give you just enough education so you can complete all the tasks that we need you to complete to keep this moving, um, but not enough that you'll start to, you know, build cr a critical consciousness that questions thing. And that's like such a thing. Like, yeah, I'm, I am, I got enough of an education that I can, you know, I'm going to qualify for a mortgage, but it is going to be something that keeps me chained to the bank to the job for, and, and to the job, whatever job yep. for the rest of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Full transparency. This is, this is happening a couple of days later, but um, someday is just such a great fucking song. I want to make sure we do it justice. So um, Tyler, you got some more to say about it? Yeah. The few things I had uh, written down about it. Um, I had said, um, I think this song like just perfectly captures like the forlorn feeling of just needing to escape. Like from the, like even just the rhythms of the song, and the tempo of the song, I think it just really speaks to how that feeling is. And when the electric guitar kicks in and everything, I think it's just a really, really powerful song. And I think it it does everything to capture that. And um, another thing I said, it's just an absolutely perfect working class country song. Absolutely. Like, it's just like every everything about Someday, I think just from the... Like, I think that tempo of the song just mm -hmm. truly, like we talked about dynamics yeah. when it comes to uh, my old friend, the blues. And um, I think this song just has such a good, like, cause it's coming out of a slow song. So it's right. got a little bit of a, like a, it's not, it doesn't just immediately speed you back up, but it does rock. It rock. It brings you back at like a, a good rock and pace, but that's not too overwhelming coming out of yes. the last one. Right. Yeah. But that's, yeah. that's about all I think I've got to say about someday i just wanted to make sure i got to this i just wanted to like 
I, I'm such a lyrics guy that like yeah. when I write something down about music, I feel like I should mention that because I'd never really have too much to say about music. So I don't understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like what you said though, about like truly like a, like just working class country song. I think that's true both lyrically and musically, frankly. Right. Because mm-hmm. I mean, as I, as I shared, like it was one of the first like Steve Earle songs that I like actually like learned how to play like just like they do it on the record and you know in the true spirit of punk and hardcore man it's not a super complicated song but then when you put all the elements together it's beautiful right so um right on i mean as we said my favorite track on the record and you called it you knew that that i I called it i knew it was you you, you tipped your hand too hard totally i gave that one away um might be harder to predict on some of the upcoming records but yeah yeah but i'm excited to play this game absolutely absolutely um should we move on to think it over yeah this is my skipper this you hey man that was gonna be my guess so i i like full transparency transparency i feel good that i got it um which song did you think would be my favorite one or have we not gotten there yet what did i I don't think I marked which one I thought would be your favorite one. Did you not mark? Okay. But I marked which one I thought wouldn't be your, um... <laughs> actually, no, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, to okay. The one I thought would be your favorite. Okay. And I'll tell All And right. again, even if it's not, I'll tell you why I okay. thought it was your favorite, but this one, I mean, so tell me, I have some quick. I've got thoughts. a sentence written for this one. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's the most generic song on the record is a perfectly serviceable country song though. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I, what I wrote is I used to think this song was really cheesy. It very much is a, I call it a template song, right? Like when you said generic country, like there's a country rockabilly template and Mm -hmm. this is a plug and play. But then I was also going to be like, Hey, I like, um, you know, I, I like sing your life by Morrissey and the music is almost like exactly the same. When you really? think about just like the, just that, like the jangly slap back guitar part, you know, obviously their vocals are very different. Um, and, you know, lyrically too, it's again, serviceable, I think is a really good adjective to describe it. You know, like I'm not mad at this song, but it's definitely not one of my favorites either. Yeah. I honestly, I meant to grab, uh, I meant to grab uh, this, the get up kids record off my shelf, but, um, which one? Uh, four minute mile, mm-hmm. um, which actually I'm just gonna grab it real quick. So yeah. vamp for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really interested and curious now to hear what the Get Up Kids comparison or parallel because is gonna be here. I uh, I think I think this song, uh, think it over in. I think it has um, like in on honestly like to a certain extent like a slightly like problematic. Um, like feeling behind it of I think just like an immature man mm. or like an immature boy, um, like this. Like, come on, you know you're you you can't get rid of me. Like, yeah, kind of attitude. Yeah, know? exactly. I think it's I think it's pretty. Um, but I'm trying to think of which song it is on this on Four Minute Mile, and it's and it's fucking me up. That it's a uh, fuck. It's the song that's like. Like, I know you'll never find another friend like me or whatever. Mm, yeah. Like, 
and I think the Get Up Kids did it better than Steve Earle does. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's it's some kind of it's some real incel shit. It's incel like, shit. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's incel shit. But it's but yeah. like but I think like I think Steve Earle does it in on this song. And God damn it, I'm trying to fucking find this. I can't remember which song it is on this fucking record. I'm looking at the lyrics right now, and I just I can't uh, fucking skim it fast enough to find it. But uh, oh, I'll bet you'll never find another friend like me. Yeah. Um, it's uh shorty um, shorty yeah. yeah it's it's the, that it's you know i'm the one by the descendants like yeah all those kind of which are you know again songs that i love but like where but you so, loved them when you were like when you were in your early 20s and you oh were my god you were on you you weren't as uh emotionally uh mature as you are now not as emotionally mature not able also to like fully like take the perspective of the person on the other side of that song. exactly you know what i mean yeah for sure exactly yeah and i think and also think it over it comes after someday yeah so that was going to be it's hard fucked. to follow it's anyway fucked. but especially it's when it's a, a generic kind of weird track like this and totally especially agree. for me coming like through from through this record like you've already had a song where you would skip yeah. i haven't come to a song yet that i would skip mm. So for me, like think it over suffers because up until this point, I have, I yeah. ride for every song on this record. Yeah. 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 And then this one, and I'm just like, eh. and well, you know, maybe, maybe rockabilly is just not my thing too. I mean, dude, rockabilly is cringe <laughs> as fuck, man. Yeah. In, in, in my, in my experience, I, I mean, this is like a whole nother thing. Um, the first time I ever played shows in the North wasn't with a hardcore band. It was with half acre gun room. Mm-hmm. And we were from Memphis, you know, and I like remember playing a couple of places. And this was also in the early to mid aughts when like, I don't know, there was just a lot of dressing up going on in a lot of different like aspects of like underground music scenes. Right. So like the garage rock thing was big and we'd end up playing a lot of shows with bands that like wanted to be the white stripes or wanted oh, to be yeah. the hives and stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I like that shit, mm-hmm. but it was almost like when we would show up in like, you know, hardcore shirts and like jeans and shorts and just like kind of play and do our shit. I would almost sometimes sense this disappointment. They're like, oh, are you bummed out that I'm like, don't have slicked back hair and like, you know, uh, a fucking that these songs aren't all about hot rods is that what you yeah is that what you thought a band from memphis would be like because i don't know anybody that's actually like that mm-hmm. um except for the tourists that come and like you know performatively sob in front of graceland <coughs> um on the anniversary of elvis's death yeah. every year which is a that's a whole nother story but yeah man i i'm <laughs> with you and thankfully even though think it over i'll agree with you is a skippable track it's a quick one if, oh yeah like, it's just a couple of minutes mm-hmm. you know it does its thing serviceably and then gets out um so yeah i would love to talk about fearless heart though i think so the what i what i have written about this one and i think you'll we'll have a lot to talk about it off of just a little bit i wrote about it yeah incredible opening and i think this song embodies steve in his truest form i love that is this your favorite song on the record no, uh, no, fucking good old boy is good old boy. God damn it. Is this what you have yeah. written down as my, yeah, this is the one I would have thought was dude. I mean, unfortunately it, it, it could have easily been because I was, yeah. you know, a fucking 
love sick moron at, throughout my whole life. <laughs> but I think as I've just settled into my just working life, good old boy just hits me in a different way. But Fearless Heart, man, I think I think this is Steve. Like of all the songs in this record, this is still him. Yes, I totally agree. Um, and I think, you know, what to a I fault, wrote, to a fault, to yeah. a fault, too. <laughs> what I wrote about this, I, I agree with you in terms of this this song in particular being like a, a good embodiment of like the spirit of Steve Earl as a songwriter. He's, he's on wife number three at this point, too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And still, you know, and this is the thing about this. We're still pretty early. Right. He's yeah. I mean, because we'll talk the you know, the next track gets into like i was had you know doing the math about like man how old I was had jt to, yeah yep. when 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 this song mm-hmm. was written four um, <laughs> yeah a little guy um but one of the things that i wrote this song is springsteen with a southern accent and a pedal steel guitar Ooh, i like that and uh, you know and i think particularly springsteen of like this era mid oh yeah era man, for sure you know um there's something even about like the hook. I mean, cause don't get me wrong. It ain't, it ain't a ripoff at all. It is pure mm-hmm. Steve, but it's almost like there's a very similar vibe and it's just like the combination of Steve's voice plus like, you know, there's, there's some songs on here that are, they're rock songs, but that feel country because of Steve's voice, because he is unapologetically Southern, which I love, but this is a country song. Like, you know, the steel guitar is not mm-hmm. on every song on this record, but when no. it is, you know what I mean? It is like, you know, you hear that. I mean, how do you describe that universal sadness? You know, the way that it like kind of comes in and is used. Um, and so that's like, I wrote, this is probably one of the reasons I love this song so much is because I can hear the Springsteen connection. And then it also just made me think um, I was reading and i think this is the copy of the cd that i had at one point in 2002 they did a remaster of guitar town which i think is the one that i ended up buying at some Mm -hmm. point and there was a bonus track on it which was a live version of steve covering state trooper by such a good cover yeah such a good cover yeah and it is it makes me think though how interesting it was one it's a great cover two clearly steve's a fan but then also like I nerd out on timelines and context, you know, cause I, I always like mm-hmm. make those points to people of like, dude, you know, me talking to this kid about American nightmare was like a dude talking to me about fear. You know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. like making those yeah. comparisons, like um, at this point, Nebraska had only come out four years before. Um, so it's still, it's like a pretty recent song. Yeah, it's a contemporary. And yeah, It's a contemporary cover, which I think is always like an, interesting choice and if you're going to do something like that you got to be ready to like nail it which he does and Um, own it absolutely and i think and i and i saw that that was around this time like a pretty regular part of steve earl and the duke's set list would be him playing state State trooper Trooper. yeah so that was just you know obviously it's not like a an actual part of this album but that you know thinking about the springsteen comparisons again yeah no i can definitely hear it in in this song especially like it's uh it's a good song though, but I mean, dude, it just, when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, man, this guy got married like what, like eight or nine times or something yeah. like fucking, he just can't help it, man. He can't help. I mean, and the first one was young and I think barely lasted a year mm-hmm. and you know, and then he moved to Nashville and 
there was, you know, I mean, everybody's life is their own, but like, I almost, when I even think about like my, my stepdad, who's the closest thing to a dad that I had, you know, my, like the, he was in a previous marriage before he met my mom. And they're just being that, like, especially for a, like, working class Southern person, this pressure of like, well, y'all need to get married. Yeah. Um, that was there, which he could look back on now and go like, yeah, that was stupid. Neither of us were ready for that, but they did, you know what I mean? Cause that's what the, that's what family wise, culture wise and all that was expected of them. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that's like relatable here, both like lyrically and just, yeah, great embodiment. I, I love the way that you described that for sure. Um, you got anything else on fearless heart? No, a little rock and roller. I'm ready for that one. I'm ready for that one too, man. Let me just start with this. Um, I think the music is pretty cheesy, um, on this song. It still hits me that way, but this is one that like, I never hated this song, but I went from being eh about it to really liking it once I had a kid. Yeah. You know, and that's just speaking personally, because mm-hmm. there was something there about like, um, and you know, I've, I mean, my kid's only 13 months old. I've never been away from him for more than two days. Right. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't toured or, or been on even like a long fucking trip without him yet. But that idea of like calling home and him answering the phone and you didn't even know that like he could do that on yeah. his own yet. Cause like we said, timeline wise, you know, JT and I are the, I mean, are the same age. And if he hadn't passed a couple of years ago, um, so he was four when, yeah. when the song came out. So yeah, I still think some of the little lullaby-esque kind of like musical parts in here and the, the long fade, a little cheesy, but like, I've, I really appreciate this is truly like, I bet Steve rightly should not give a shit what I think about it because this song was for his son. Yeah, I, I, I think it's one of the cutest songs I've ever heard. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's absolutely devastating to listen to now, especially oh yes. this being, as far as his recorded material, the first song he ever wrote about Justin. Right. And then yeah. we know the last song he's written about Justin. <sighs> like, to listen, to, like, like I, I definitely want to hearken back to this song when we get to the JT record and we can talk about yeah. that song. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, no, I think I think it's it's such a good um, it's a great story. It really is. You can you read it, you 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 listen to it, you visualize it. Yeah. You see him at the in the booth because mm-hmm. that back then is probably booth. So yeah, it's like hey, truck stop. There's a f- stop. I got to make a phone call. Yep, yep. I got to check in. And yep. I want to just talk to my little guy. I don't even care to talk to his mom. I just want to talk to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, God, dude, just it's it's just a it's such a, it feels like such a real moment. Yes. Um, and even like, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those songs where like, it's like a saves the day song. Like you hear and you're like, wow, that's a good story. And then you find out it's like completely fiction, mm-hmm. but it's like this, like this could be fiction. I would find it hard to believe it isn't though. Oh yeah. I, like, they- I, would, I would, I would find it hard to believe that th- this isn't true. This isn't like a true, like he, he called, got a hold of Justin and was like, fuck man, I'm going to write something about this. I 100% agree. And I mean, we've, we've talked about this a little while, even just on this record, how 
one, again, one of the like amazing things about Steve Earle is his ability song to song to toggle really well between autobiographical and totally fictional, mm -hmm. right? And the way he can embody a character yeah. or a song can be really about a real life experience that he's had or is having, or can be like a, you know, an, an inspired mixture of both. Right. So yes, um, I agree with you. I think the combination of Justin's death and just knowing that like Steve's career, like, you know, bookends in many ways, the, the entirety of this, you know, young man's life who was gone yeah. way too soon. And there's other lines in here too, just about like, you know, one of these days when you're a little older, you can ride the big bus and, and he does all right. And he does. Right. Or just like, you know, almost like I'm not, you could tell there was this, like, I'm not going to force him to be a musician, but it, it would be pretty fucking cool if he like liked what his dad does and like wants to, you know, wants to imitate the stuff that he sees me doing, you know, and like, yeah, not only did he, but you know, then like even in his, you know, short life made a totally formidable musical career of his own. Right. It put um, out in an insane amount of output in the yeah. time that he was, he was making music. It's, like god it, it's it's such a devastating song to listen to now because like when he says like that i know there's an angel just for rock and rollers oh my god looking over you and your daddy tonight yeah, like just fuck dude like Ooh, kills me like what a fucking lyric to write when your kid's four and then fast right. forward you know what 34 it was justin 38 38 he was 38 when he passed yeah like um you know past fast forward 34 years and then for like i imagine steve can't listen to this song anymore i would yeah I mean, you know, we, we've talked too, and we'll, we'll get to this in the future, just about, you know, the, I'm like almost the songs later on, you know, in the, in the JT record and, and things like that. Like, I just find myself more hoping that those were, were and are therapeutic for Steve. Absolutely. Right? Like, like a way to like help him process, grieve make meaning but you know even though like you know you speaking about the output i think it's probably justin's most popular song but like every time i drive my wife and son to visit uh his grandparents my my in-laws we cross the harlem river it's the best and, it's one of the best songs i've ever heard yeah and so it's like every time even if we're like something we're listening to something else in the car like when we when we cross that bridge there like I'm always like, Lord, I'm going uptown. And again, I'm just thinking more and more like, God, all the songs that my son is going to like at an early age inherit from me. I'm going to get like a phone call from his preschool teacher to be like, uh, your son was singing a song about drowning in the Harlem River today. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he loves that song. What? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if it was scaring the other kids, but maybe, you know, you should this is a learning opportunity. It's a great song. Yeah. You should play it for him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm, I mean, I think that's about all that I have to say is like, wow. Like, uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you, you talk about the music and thinking it's a little cheesy. I, to me, like the music is so secondary for the song. It's, it's totally all lyrics for me. A hundred percent. And like, that's the thing. Like it's so, if it, if it wasn't for me, such a deeply resonating, 
like, you know, this is an, this is like him inviting the listener in on a really fucking intimate moment Absolutely. between him and his son. And there's mm -hmm. almost like a, you know, I think obviously like art is to be interpreted by the listener, the viewer, whoever, but like, I feel almost this kind of like reverence of like, damn, it takes a lot to put something like this out there. You no, know what I, I mean? And yeah, and he did. And that's like, again, not even knowing like how many different layers this would feel years later when Justin was an adult making music of his own. And then especially now um, yeah. that he's gone. So yeah, great song. Um, Absolutely. I'm ready to move on to the closer. If yep, you are, down the road. Dude. I mean, I'm curious to hear what you say, but like, to me, the, the way the song, the acapella opening unaccompanied perfection. Um, I, I, love I, I have written down perfect song opening and closing with vocals only total sucker for that. Me too, man. <laughs> me too. And there's something like, uh, I think we've, we've talked a little bit about, uh, Richard Buckner, um, who is a, you know, a more contemporary country artist and, or, you know, and I say country, he's put out a lot of different kinds of stuff over the years, but like one of the, I think one of the first things that drew me to him is on, I think his second album, there is a similar style, like opening mm -hmm. and closing with an acapella part like that. Um, and, you know, I don't, again, I don't know that it's like inspired by Steve, but like, I certainly like to think it is like, it mm -hmm. feels to me, it feels you know, you, it's, it's always awesome when you hear something that's clearly like a nod, it's not a ripoff. It's a, like, you know, it's like a salute to something that came before. I'm mm -hmm. such a big sucker for it. And again, not to like be too much of a dork about the music, but I think because this is something that comes up so much later in Steve's work, I think this is the mandolin's first appearance on the record. Really? Or if it's not, then it's the first song where the the mandolin is like featured prominently like on top of the guitar almost you know like Man mandolin is on this record yeah because i just i hear it and it's you know it's the last track on the album but every other song has is heavily guitar driven right and on this one the mandolin i think is carrying a lot more of the work than the guitar the mandolin takes a solo and you know i think that's just worth noting too considering you know, we learned later that like Steve was entirely self-taught on that instrument and um, in some of his biggest hits later on in his career, yep. that that ended up, you know, he would often be playing that more than he'd be playing a guitar. He didn't um, play the mandolin on this record. Though. Oh, yeah. Somebody else played it. Interesting. Yep. Um, Emery Gordy Jr. Emery Gordy uh, played, Jr. Played bass and mandolin on the record. Well, there you go. So Steve wasn't even doing it himself yet. Mm -mm. But I think, like I said, I, I don't know if there was any you know, there could be mandolin tracks on some of the other songs here, but this is the first one where I was like, even yeah. my ear as you somebody, can I can really pick it up and pick up that like, it's so bright. Yeah. It's so bright where there's a little bit more of like a bluegrass nod on this mm -hmm. one than there is on a lot of the other songs. Um, but like, yeah, yeah I think, I think this yeah. record really is for you. If you like any era of Steve Earl, you can reach to this record and be like, yeah. Yeah. If you like, like the blues stuff, if you like the bluegrass stuff, if you like the rock stuff, if you like the country stuff, if you like the folk stuff, you can find something on this record. If you, this is the, the catch all. Tyler, yeah, that's such him. a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Like how fucking profound that in like your, your full length debut, 
to be able to go like, let me show you this whole range that I got right here. Mm -hmm. And he really does that on this record. And then um, on later records, he really zeroes in on sounds. Yeah, exactly. And does a whole record expounding on a certain sound. And I think it's, I think it's super impressive that he's able to show so many influences on this record. And then later on, we'll go through where he truly goes, okay, I've shown you I can play with these. Now I'm going to show you where I can master these things. Yes, I completely agree. Like he gives us a taste of, of each of these things on Guitar mm -hmm. Town. And then later he's like, and now I'm going to like teach a clinic on it. Yeah. Right. And show that I've like totally mastered this kind of approach to the genre. Um, man, fantastic record. And I think obviously we'll, we'll have more to talk about Tyler once we get deeper into Steve's catalog. But I'm curious because I know at the beginning we talked a little bit about like, you know, where does it feel like Guitar Town fits in, in terms of like our overall like tiers of Steve Earle's records. And I'm, I'm still, after we've gone through the entire thing, feeling like this is still top three for me, I think. Um, remind me, where is it for you? You think roughly? I would say this is, this is between five and 10 for okay. me. Okay, okay. This is, this is middling for me, but it's because I think there's records where he either hits directly in my, in the pocket for me yeah, or, um, like either, uh, like content wise mm -hmm. or sound wise, he is so much more like, feels like he's curtailing to my tastes specifically to you. Yes. Like and there's, like, yeah. like there's, there's a few records and we'll talk about it when we get there, but like, there's a few records where it's like, well, everything about this record is something i like yeah like there's not a single bit of it that doesn't one thing i did want to touch on just because on these first few records um before we start before we get into i believe i feel all right is when it starts but the artwork mm. um because till he finds that like that like southwestern style artwork yeah like there's a lot of unique there, there's well there's way more uniqueness once he gets into that right but like this this artwork is just fonts on a photo of him outside of a guitar store like yeah and then the back cover is just lyrics so yeah like i definitely wanted to like touch on the artwork a little bit because there is such an like a journey as far as the art goes for these records too and yeah. eventually he does find he water finds its level yes and he gets into where he's using the same person for every single album. Yeah. And to me, who it loves loyalty and loves like continuity, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm excited to, to go to walk people through even that aspect of it. If, you know, yeah. you may have listened to Steve Roll. Have you really looked at it though? Right. Have you like looked at like the visual representations of this, this art? And like, that's, this is, cause this is it. There's no insert for this one. There's no, mm. Um, there's no forward, which we'll get to in other records. Like he writes forwards for his records and kind of gives you an idea of the, the thesis statement for mm. what he was trying to do. Um, whether or not he accomplishes it enough or not is up to us to decide. But, right. um, but I think that like talking about the artwork too, is like a really, like, I appreciate that when I listen to podcasts, like the, uh, where it went podcast, the yes. rev one they talk about art a lot and I, mm -hmm. I i love hearing those stories and like at least acknowledging like what is what does it look like too 
Yeah. Like we know what it's, we can see, we can all get what it sounds like, but like, what is it to feel it, to touch it? And like, it's why I bought the record before, totally. before we did this. So I could have something to hold and something to, to contextualize right. this, uh, this listening experience. To be able to have like a more fuller sensory experience beyond just what we hear. Right. Yes. And I think that's a good point too, as these episodes, as you're listening, if you haven't yet, um, we are on Instagram, Hardcore Troubadour Pod, um, and on that account is where we're going to be like sharing some of these snippets, right? Like, obviously, if you aren't familiar with the covers, you can see those anywhere on Spotify as you're streaming or, on Spotify yeah. or just Google Images or wherever. But um, we're going to be digging in a little bit more to like some of the inserts, some of the more unique artwork, some mm-hmm. of the T-shirts and things like that that we've collected over the years. So if you enjoy what you're hearing, also give us a follow on Instagram, Hardcore Troubadour Pod. Um, And we'll have more stuff to offer later on as well, if you dig what we're hearing. So if you came into this not being familiar with Guitar Town, I hope this has got you excited about it. If you came into this uh, a real Steve Earlhead like us, I hope that this has given you you know, just a, a different layer of the way that you're thinking about and experiencing these songs. Um, but either way, we appreciate you listening and look forward to continuing this journey. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's fun to listen to people who agree with you about stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, and if you're like me, I have fun both with people who agree with me and with people who disagree. And Tyler, I think that's one of the cool things. If it wasn't obvious, um, you know, we made the decision not to like share our notes with one another mm-hmm. before. So there were, I think most songs on this record, Tyler and I had pretty similar takes, but there were a few points where we were button heads a little bit. Abs- and I, absolute polar opposites on one yeah, side. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I think there's probably going to be a lot more of that as we get deeper into Steve's catalog. So oh, I know there is because yeah. you've already shared a little bit of your, your displeasure with some of the stuff. Yeah. I can't wait to argue with you about it. <laughs> yes. So yeah, if, if you want to hear us argue, um, that's just another reason to like keep on following along. But uh, thanks again for digging in with episode one. And we'll be back at you very soon with Steve's next record, which is Exit Zero. Exit Zero. Let's go. All right. Have a good one.